And you're very welcome along to our final gardening programme. Can't believe we're at that point in the uh, year, Pori. Good morning to you. Good morning, dear And you're welcome along in the studio today. Yeah, I I was thinking this morning, the drive up, a beautiful drive up and uh, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. So your your forecast is probably true, a little bit of uh, rain maybe towards the evening time, but a beautiful morning out there. And frost has certainly come back. I had a little bit of frost on the car yeah, this morning. I didn't know. But uh, yeah, but I uh, maybe a little bit more, little bit more inland. Uh, I don't know what that <laughs> well, means. Nothing. Yeah, normally normally it's, <laughs> it's the yeah, other way around. It's the other way around, yeah. yeah but certainly the frost is um is, uh, is coming back at, at this time of year. So, you know, it kind of ties in a lot of what we were talking about before, about the geraniums and the bedding plants. Uh, you know, once we get a couple of nights of frost uh, over the next few days, then plants are going to be nip back. Mm. So if you've got some tender plants outdoors, um, talking to Teresa this morning, she still has a lovely begonia in full flower. And, but once we get a couple of nights of frost, that's going to die back. So mm. people should look at their tender plants and bring them, start bringing them, take in. some cuttings or take, lift the bulbs of begonias maybe over the next week or 10 days mm. and, and bring them back in. Yeah, but it's our last program uh, for this year. But the season has absolutely flown. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a very interesting year and some very interesting topics came up right throughout um, this year in particular. And I thought the autumn program in particular just seemed to. Does it fly by? Well, yeah, we did weeks. We did eight. eight yeah, uh, hard to believe. It's eight or nine shows, and I thought it, it has certainly flown for me. Um, but just going back to um, last Saturday, as you know, I we did the, the metal in in Castlebar with the children. Yes. Um, so I we got involved with the Castlebar uh, cleanup community who meet every Saturday morning and do fantastic work around the Castlebar area. But last week we had a project to plant two thousand one hundred bulbs. Um, thankfully, the weather stayed dry. The children turned out in their droves. We had at least 60 or maybe 70 children and, and their parents. And uh, it was so much fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we start kicked off at 11 o'clock, gave them a little chat about biodiversity and the importance. And what struck me was that, you know, there were children there from six, seven years of age and there were people up to, up to my age and that everybody can contribute uh, to the whole scheme of biodiversity and giving back. And that's what struck me that your know, children have a part to play in this as well. So the, the kids within, I think it was about 45 minutes, had 2,000 bulbs planted into Is the soil. In 45 minutes? 45 minutes. I couldn't believe myself. Wow. Because I was yabbing for, for 10 minutes of that about biodiversity and we had a bit of fun uh, and, and introducing the various characters from the Casabar Cleanup Group. Mm. Um, but... Um, it was fantastic they, in record time and some of the children came along with they were so well prepared they had their trousers and there were pink wellies and all sorts of colour wellies but also some of them came with um, just little bits of carpet to be able to kneel on so oh, really, that's very organised. They really had thought about yeah. this, yeah, and and got stuck in, and yeah, forty five minutes tops, and we were gone. We were gone by by twelve o'clock. We job the job was done, and so uh, I suppose that just goes to show you what can be achieved when a, is, a body of people come together. And you know, two thousand one hundred bulbs is no small amount of bulbs. Absolutely, and a lot of people might balk at the thought of how do we, where do we start organising the like of that. Yeah. But it just goes to show you when people do come together, the things that can be done. Absolutely, and from from literally the ages of six. It was primary school children that we wanted to come along and they were from all ages and every one of them got stuck in and, and planted. So they planted a lovely area at Loch Lana and they also planted an area along what we call the Fairy Walk now where the children can walk along. Uh, they're slightly elevated so they can see over the, the lake in Loch Lana. Right. They can watch the, the duck and the wildlife and, and so on and we planted that with um, Little Dwarf Narcissi. Irish bluebells were planted and uh, a couple of varieties of crocuses as well. So we're going to have colour next February and some of the kids are going to, you know, 
they won't feel it until February. Mm. They'll be back to see the, the bulbs in flower in February, March and, and April of this year. So you're dead right. It just shows a community coming together um, and in fairness, the cleanup group, Caspar uh, cleanup group, had good preparation mm, of the, the okay. soil ready for the kids and thing. But yeah, forty-five minutes in and out and gone, uh, so it was terrific. So really enjoy that. And um, the weather for the week over the weekend, you know, as you said from your forecast, it is kind of mixed, but there's lots of dry weather as well and really good planting conditions. So kind of my hints and tips really would be certainly on the tender plants like we mentioned, anything that is tender to frost, like our geraniums or begonias or whatever, and you want to save them, then certainly start taking cuttings or bringing them in or save the begonia bulbs over the next week or 10 days. Mm. They'll be fine for another couple of nights. Um, We're into the time of year also for wild bird feeding and it's one of the projects we're going to do, chatting to the the team in Castlebar. We're going to look at doing some linking with uh, one of the men's shed and get some nesting boxes created over the winter period and get those up next spring. So that's something people could be considering to do. If you have nesting boxes in the garden, now is the time to clean them out. Um, so clean them out of any, any any old nests that might be there. And also it's a good time of year to start feeding wild birds in general. And they create fun if you put up a couple of feeders close to your house as the weather gets colder the birds are going to be braver and come around and they give you fantastic entertainment if nothing else right through the winter period but it is an important time to be feeding our our, our garden songbirds in particular um, it is the kind of final I suppose week or 10 days for the sowing of wildflower seed and spring bulbs should be planted you know try to get them in mm-hmm. um, you know you've got probably another three to four weeks if you haven't got an area to plant them just simply put them into pots and containers but this is the time of year when spring bulbs should be planted and also the vegetable planting remember that it's still plenty of time to put in the likes of the um, spring cabbage the pixie and hispe cabbage or Japanese onion sets garlic all of that sort of stuff can still be planted at this time of year irrespective of the frost they're perfectly hardy out of doors and they continue to grow right through the uh, late autumn winter period and uh, it's something to look forward to to during the winter and particularly next spring if you're not going to do something in the vegetable garden consider just sowing some green manures uh, it's just mm. such a simple thing to do just to rake the soil so if you're digging out old potatoes and rather than leaving the ground fallow get yourself some green manure chuck it on it'll germinate within 10 or 15 days and it'll give a cover crop that'll suppress the weeds but also be there to add into the soil as we come into spring of next year it's a great way organic way of adding fertilizer to your soil and also suppressing weeds so that's the type of thing to be doing and um, i noticed we have a couple of questions in on hedges but in general the kind of the tidying up of the garden yeah. so a light trimming to plants like um hedges in general um, i was talking to a, a neighbor of mine uh, this week uh, she's got a lovely escalonia hedge but it had it's a young hedge and it was of different heights so my advice was just to tidy things up and just even everything off no severe pruning at this time of year but just to tidy it up and kind of um you know nip it back and that'll encourage lots of new growth then next spring again as the summer colors begin to fade we're thinking of autumn colors so if you want a bit of color for coming up to the halloween christmas sort of period mm. then it's a good time of year to plant up autumn color the winter pansies the violas the cyclamen and underplant them with all the spring bulbs trailing ivy so sort of plants will be lovely and i suppose the final thing and we, we get lots of questions on it anyway in terms of treating the moss at this time of year particularly the moss on patios and um, there's lots of it around with the moist weather. Yes. So now is the time to treat it rather than leave it being a problem in the springtime. And lawns are exactly the same thing. This is the time of year to control the moss growth, give them an autumn feed and you just keep on top of it rather than it being a problem next spring when we're back on air. 
and, and, and you're looking at nice soft moss <laughs> all yeah, over so the place. Yeah, so treat it now because yeah. it grows over the winter period and if you can control it at this time of year, it just doesn't become uh, that major problem every spring. So there, and great planting weather. So if people are considering planting trees in their garden or just planting in general, the soil conditions certainly are still absolutely perfect. So it's a time of year of kind of tidying up uh, maybe a little bit of, of planting, planting for the spring as well in terms of the um, the vegetable plants and the green manures, getting those in. Um, so they're the, t- the type of... And making compost. This is a great time as the leaves begin to fall to gather the leaves and, and you're still probably trimming lawns, so all of those materials and lots of kitchen household green compostable yeah. waste can be used like shredded new pa- newspapers and eggshells and all that sort of stuff. It's a great time of year to start a a compost heap somewhere in the garden. Okay, absolutely. So they're the type of things to be. To be at. To be, to be, to be at. at. Yes. Because I won't be here next week. No, <laughs> nor will I actually, as it happens. There but go. there you go. <laughs> Not that I might be much addition on no. my own. But anyway, that's uh, well, that, there's a huge amount there for people to do. Straight into it. So, uh, photographs to start. We have a couple of photos in from Bernie. And Bernie says, good morning. Uh, what do we do with the strawberry plant over the winter? And secondly, are my nasturtium seeds looking healthy? I'm storing them in a brown paper bag. Now, Bernie has been listening to us, I think, during the, during the years. Bernie's doing exactly the right thing. So nasturtiums are producing their seed at the moment and have been for the last number of weeks. And you'll often find them just underneath the, the plant itself on the ground, self-seeded. So it's a great time of year to collect the seed. Simply, as Bernie has done, put them into a brown paper bag. They tend to be a light tannish colour. Mm-hmm. Simply put them into a brown envelope and store them indoors. Put them maybe on a windowsill somewhere frost-free or in a garage area. And nasturtiums are, are replanted indoors then in February and March of next year because they're frost sensitive. If you put them out too early, the frost is going to nail them. Oh. So you sow them indoors uh, any time from late February, early March. As they start to germinate, pinch them back to make them really strong and bushy and then plant them out of doors once the risk of frost has passed around the end of April, early May. And they're one of the easiest of all seed to collect because they're quite large and mm-hmm. um, they're easy to see. And, um, and I suppose they're a very prolific plant then they as well. Are. Of produce lots and, and they will come they will come true to type so it'll be lovely mixed colours again next year in terms of strawberries they need yeah, to be kept that's in out a pot of doors now, I think, is it? yeah it's in a pot so it's it's obviously a young runner that um, Bernie Bernie's obviously yeah. potted up it's a relatively young plant keep them out of doors because strawberries need that chilling effect over the winter period and I said this last week that to initiate their flowers they need actually some frost now they tend to die back and they look dishevelled uh, out of doors. So put them somewhere sheltered out of the wind more so than anything else. Somewhere they're going to get catch the rain and the frost won't do them any bother whatsoever even though the plants will look yellowish. They'll go a little bit brown. They'll die back but they'll re grow again the following February and March and at that stage if you have got a greenhouse or tunnel you can bring them in er, inside early doors to get them into flower early in the spring and have an early crop of strawberries. So leave your strawberries out of doors great time to pot up new runners and uh, let them get that chilling effect over the winter period. Okay and even They're though They're perfectly hardy like that. Even though they might look shocked oh, it'll stand to them. And yeah. They'll be yellow and brown and, and spotted and all of that but that's perfectly natural. Okay, brilliant. I think you've just answered part of Magella's question there as well. Um, Magella also is wondering about cutting back a laurel ethna hedge Mm -hmm. and she's got a new greenhouse and I'm wondering what can I grow in it for the winter? 
Well, there's lots you can actually grow. Um, so I would be thinking straight away things like the garlic that we mentioned, the Japanese onion sets, they come in that lovely red form, the electric, which is a, a very mild onion that's used in salads. Or you can use um, Shakespeare, which is the golden onion. Um, you can certainly, you get the bulbs of those in your local garden centre at the moment. Mm-hmm. The pixie cabbage is brilliant because it's a very neat, compact variety and stays very compact. So that's really good. You could sow the seeds of things like, um, and, and also you'll get spinach available as plants now. So all of those edible plants can be planted in the greenhouse at this time of year. And indeed you could sow the seed. Things like um, white Lisbon which is a a salad onion. There's a winter variety of that. Winter lettuce can be sown. And any of the speedy veg seeds. So if you look for those in your local garden centre they come under the Sutton's brand. Speedy veg is about 14 different types and they tend to be vegetables that you crop on a regular basis. So perfect for a greenhouse or tunnel. And you can use the greenhouse as well for taking cuttings of some of your favourite plants and so on. So it's a great unit to have. In terms of the Etna hedge, Etna is a particular variety of laurel hedge that's very very compact. It's probably one of the nicest varieties of laurel hedge. So it's a really slow growing compact variety. Tends to need minimal trimming. So my advice would really is to just give it a very light trimming back, just even off. So if, if some of the hedge is slightly taller, mm-hmm. even it all off to one height. So you might be only taking three or four inches off each branch just to tidy it up more than anything else. But it's a lovely variety of laurel and more suitable to smaller gardens because of its compact nature and compact growth. Okay, brilliant. Uh, so somebody just says they wanted to say thanks a million for uh, the great gardening programme over the past few months. Yeah. Never miss it. Uh, I've learned so much and look forward to when you return in the spring. Oh, so brilliant. no question, Beatrice, but thank you so much for <laughs> that. That's really kind. Uh, now we have photograph put in a new part of a lawn in August. It was lovely and green, but the last couple of weeks it starts to go a bit yellow. Don't know what it is, uh, says Mary, and she's got a couple of photos there for yeah, us. Yeah, it's just yeah. a little bit hungry more than anything else. And the, the, the yellowing of the lawn is, is more towards the house area so I'm I'm uh, I'm, I, I would reckon that the, the soil conditions are just a little bit impoverished there. If Mary puts a, an autumn feed on, um, something like the zero autumn feed or one of the proprietary autumn feeds, it'll green the lawn without actually causing it to grow. So it'll give a nice greening effect. Um, so it's just a nutritional um, issue here. Issue. So feeding it will, will correct that. So And that can be applied to this time of year. And if anything, the sort of moist weather at the, at the moment will wash it in. Now... A Claire Morris listener had a yellow rose bush in the garden that used to produce flowers. We removed it two years ago. Must have left a bit of a root. And last year, shoots appeared. This year, it grew into a bush but didn't produce flowers. And part of it produced berries. And it all grew out of the one root, says Lar. And there's a selection of photographs there. So I don't know, is that something uh, that would happen as a rule? Or is that actually a rose bush at all? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> uh, hard to say. Has it got seven leaves? Oh, oh. Two, four, six, six and one is seven. seven. it does. So what's that telling you? It's, that's the sucker one. It's a sucker. So basically <gasps> what has happened here, obviously the yellow rose was, was removed, but the roots yeah. were left intact. So what we've got is a, is a briar or a oh, sucker yeah. rose. So this is where the yellow rose was grafted onto a rootstock. And this is atypical of how well, the rootstock grows. Great selection of photographs. Thank you. Yeah, so to look at, to be honest, I would remove it. It's never going to, to produce... Um, Big flowers. Yeah, like it's it's going to produce flowers and it'll produce the berries, the rose oh, hips. So, that there, we, so that's the hips there. Yeah, there the hips, yeah. the rose hips, um, which are, are, are attractive at this time of year. But so it'll always grow like this in this kind of wild fashion. So it's just the sucker, uh, the, the rose rootstock that has 
kicked back into growth. It is quite vigorous. It does flower. They'll produce small little white or pink flowers and then they produce the, the lovely rose hips. But it'll always have this briar type wild rose look to it. It okay. won't, it won't It'll never be a, no, a, a no, kind no, of a, an no. English garden rose yeah, or exactly. anything like that. And so when removing roses, it's important to remove as much root so as possible. dig it all out. Yeah, because you're leaving the, the briar behind as it were. Now, I've a Lelandia growing for 20 years on my driveway to the house, which is quite long. The trees are around 15 foot high, but are so thick like pot bellies. Okay. <laughs> is it safe to cut them back or would they lose their greenery also to top them to around eight foot? Uh, they almost block the driveway. Yeah, there's no problem topping, taking a couple of feet, um, you know, several feet off the top of Lelandia Hedge. They respond relatively good to that and will reshoot again. But you cannot remove the side shoots back more than into if you go into old wood they don't have the ability to reshoot again so right. never prune Lilandii back Excellent. I mean A consider maybe removing them entirely would be one I know it's probably a big consideration but that would be certain, certainly something to consider the reduction of the height of Lilandii is fine but the trimming of the sides you can never go back into old wood because they just don't have the ability to reshoot again. Hedges like Escaloni and Grisolini and Laurel of all plants, mm. they have a great ability that you've, if you prune them severely, they'll reshoot again. <coughs> but Lelandii and conifers in general just don't have that ability. If you cut back into old brown wood, they just never reshoot okay, again. So you're it's... left to that bare wood look. Look. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So reducing the height is no problem. You can certainly trim the sides, but only... To, uh, to, to, you still have to have green left you still have to have green wood so it can reshoot again okay. and that should be really left till next spring okay great um, now what should I do with hostas and a pink calla lily just simply enjoy them they're actually dying back at the moment my hostas have gone yellow at this stage um, so I'll leave them another two weeks and then I'll just cut them back to ground level and rake, rake off all the dead leaves plant maybe some spring bulbs between them which would be a great idea to mm -hmm. give some early colour the same applies with the calla lily just let it die back naturally Okay, brilliant. Okay, sorry. Yep, pull down your mic there. Uh, not at all. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. We'll keep going uh, here with questions. So, Pork, you mentioned wildflower seed planting. I, I have a patch from last uh, year, I think it is, with wildflower seeds that's gone to seed. A bit of mixed grass. Will I cut it, asks Joe. Absolutely. Well, the first thing Joe could do is actually collect the seed from the flowers that are there. So if you just, you know, literally cut off the seed heads and collect any seed that are there and re-sow that seed, Joe. But the, the the treatment with wildflower meadows, I mean, think of years ago when people were making hay, what do they do? Once we came to September, mm. they cut it back to, to literally ground level with the sigh. And that's really what you do with a wild meadow. You cut it back at this time of year, strim it back with a strimmer. Uh, even the strimming effect will shake a lot of the seed out of the seed heads and that'll cast onto the soil. The other thing that Joe needs to do is to take all of that material then, all the strimmed material, away and put it on the compost heap because if it's left in the wild wildflower meadow, mm. it adds nutrition to the soil which actually slows down the growth of wildflowers. So my advice really is to strim it all back, Joe, allow the seeds to cast or cast the seed, maybe sow some fresh seed as well, plant some spring bulbs in there as, as well and take all the trimmings and put them onto the compost heap. Okay, great stuff. Now, I'm just going to look over uh, on yeah. uh, a couple of other questions, Porg. Setting geranium cuttings, uh, yeah. I set them three weeks ago. Right. So what do I do now and next and how do I protect them over the winter? I don't have a tunnel or anything like that. It's from Catherine. So quite simply, Catherine, just leave them on your windowsill. Um, a windowsill is absolutely perfect. So when we take geraniums, we take them roughly about six inches long, strip off the leaves and flowers. They should be about pencil thickness. Allow them to dry out over the night. So take 
take your cuttings, leave them for kind of 24 hours and then insert them into a little bit of rooting powder into some perlite on its own if you wish or perlite and compost mixed together. Cover with a polythene bag and literally just leave them sitting on your windowsill. It'll take about six weeks for them to initiate roots and once they do you simply take off the, the bag uh, from the from the cuttings and allow them to grow on on the windowsill. They are frost sensitive. You have to keep them indoors until uh, the following um, late spring, early summer of next year. Now you can pot them up into maybe February and March into individual pots and again allow them to grow on but then once we get into May they can be planted Without. outdoors. Fantastic. Now a question for Porrick. My lawn is covered with moss weeds and wild bushes. Oh. I'm getting a man with a JCB to dig the lot out. Good on you. Uh, today to put in a new lawn on Monday. Is this a good time of year to put in, in a new lawn or should I wait until next spring to put down a new lawn and what do you reckon I should do? That's from Jack and Mary in Leitrim. Okay well well done. Well, Leitrim is, I suppose, known for its heavy soils and moist soils. And the sowing of lawns is not necessarily to do with the time of year. It's all to do about temperatures and weather conditions. Lawn seed germinates at temperatures above 10 degrees Celsius. And we're getting those at the moment. But the weather is getting a little bit colder. Mm. So generally speaking, when we get into kind of wet, miserable weather, I advise stay off the lawns, new lawns or soil working because it gets very mucky and it gets very messy. And it's very hard to actually till the soil. Soil conditions are fine at the moment so if if, if um, Mary can get and Jack can get working on it in the next week or 10 days and, and the weather continues to remain mild you can certainly sow the seed at this time of year. As we get into November we're into kind of November from next week on it is getting a bit later mm. like generally speaking it's, it's September October excellent months but having said that if we got October weather in November you could still sow the lawn. Right. You could certainly get the soil conditions ready mm. and then depending on the type of temperatures we're going to experience over um, the November period, you could consider to sow the seed or leave it over until March or April of next year. So the magic ingredient is that 10 degrees Celsius. That's, That's above that, lawn seed will germinate. Uh, below it, it won't. So you'd really need it for a, a week uh, to, for, oh, for that to happen? Oh, you'd want kind of 14 days, 14 yes, days. Uh, 10 to 14 okay. days for it to, yeah. to, to germinate. Um, so get, maybe get the soil conditions ready now and then make a judgment at, and or leave it over till springtime. Okay. But and if, if we get into a period of very wet weather, you're better off staying off the off lawn it, area until yeah. the spring. Because, yeah. Um, and But the man can still come in with the JCB and do the job. He can and maybe do a bit of drainage as well yeah. because if he ha- if they have, um, well, they haven't sold rushes, wild yeah. bushes, but if there are rushes and if it's a heavy-natured soil, which it tends to be in Litra, yeah. it's a good idea to add some drainage as well. Brilliant. Now, um, sorry, now I beg your pardon. Okay. Uh, right. We're just coming over uh, on this side. Sorry, Park. Um, so you mentioned about moss, I know, at the start of the programme uh, and hard, hard surfaces. So uh, wondering here about the tar- what is the best to put on tarmac yeah. drive now for moss? So if you if you consider moss growth, moss grows and when we get moist, cool weather, as we're going to experience and as we have been experiencing, I suppose, for the last couple of weeks. So you're going to see it on your driveway now and it'll continue to grow over the winter unless treated. So the simple treatment is to use the packed liquid. Pack is simple simple to apply, apply it on a dry day. It takes about seven days to work. It'll totally uh, kill off the moss and stop it from spreading. And you can give it a light brushing or a very light power hosing once it's dead after that seven day period. So apply pack on the next dry day and that'll get rid of it. And it can be used in all hard surface areas, walls, tiles, tarmac atom, gravel beds, mm. slates, whatever, any hard surface area pack will eradicate moss. Great. Now, can you recommend some shrubs for an area that has silty soil and is wind exposed, please? Ah, yeah. Well, go into your local garden centre and ask them about some of the seaside 
plants. So plants like the Senecio, you know, the, the angel wings, mm-hmm. or there's a lots of varieties of Senecio grey eye. Silver, silver-leaved plants tend to like that free-draining soil. So if it's a kind of a silty, um, sandy-natured soil, free-draining plants, rosemary, any of the herbs like rosemary would do really well. Lavenders love that condition as well. Senecio grey eye, Iliagnus, which is really good. Um, so your typical seaside hedge fuchsia will tolerate it helianthemum which are the sun roses they do really well so look at my advice is maybe take some photographs of the area Mm. pop into your local garden centre they'll talk you through but kind of edge towards those seaside uh, plants that'll tolerate the soil conditions but many of them will tolerate the um, the free draining <laughs> soil like certain plants do particularly well on free draining sandy sandy soils tend to be low in nutrition so many of our Mediterranean plants love that sort of conditions many of our silver leafed plants plants like Lavateria and the mallow does really well on that as well. Brooms, you know, the common mm. broom. Um, if they're planted on heavy soils, they tend to die out very quickly, whereas the, if they're planted on impoverished soils, they tend to do really well. Wildflowers love those sort of conditions as well. So there's quite a range of choice of plants, many of the bulbs you could put in as well. So take some photographs of the area, pop right. into your local garden centre. Um, you'll have, you'll ed, have the full ed, picture then. Edge towards the, the um, hebes, for example, would, would do in very well in those conditions as well. Pitsporums, there's lots of plants. Now, my box hedge is dying. We've got, a, hedge, yeah, yeah. we've got a photograph and it, it isn't looking great, all right. It's, it's spreading all over um, and I have to dig it out. I, I would do this I have one to is dig it out? well. Yeah, this one is particularly bad. I mean, it's it's pretty much ninety percent gone. I would consider taking it out, like trying to bring that back. This is the the box blight that it's affecting yeah. boxwood. When it's arrested, when the plants are young and small, it can be um, kept controlled. But this is particularly bad. You know, there's ninety percent of the growth has, has stopped there. So if it's a relatively short area, you could consider taking it out. Um, if you want a plant that's similar to box in it, the way it grows in terms of the leaf structure, but doesn't suffer from box blight you could there are two plants you could consider one is a small leaf to euonymus called euonymus microphyllus which phyllus means leaf micro means small so microphyllus which is a really small dark green leaf very like a boxwood and it doesn't suffer from box blight and the other plant you could consider is some of the pittosporums there's a lovely one called golf ball which has apple green leaves, oh, it's evergreen, yeah. small leaves. It like it grows like a golf ball. It grows into that kind of rounded shape, needs minimal trimming. Or Pittosporum Tom Thumb. I have a, an area planted in the garden with Pittosporum Tom Thumb and it's got lovely purple foliage 12 months of the year and it makes a lovely hedge up to about maybe three feet. That's Perfect. all right. If you want something yeah. really small, small neat, easy to trim. Ur- urban area. Yeah, no hassle in terms of trimming it and no problem with diseases or pests, then Pittosporum Tom Thumb or Pittosporum Golf Ball or Euonymus Microphyllus would be three good choices. Yeah, the box hedges, I've noticed quite a few of a those questions of this year. It's a lot of box yeah. blight around. It's a disease, it's a fungal disease of box that box wood, uh, which has become come to common in the last eight to ten years spread slowly from Europe into Ireland and um, you can get the top box treatment which is a mixture of it's a it's a, a blue uh, a blue tablet that you mix with water it it has a fungicide and a feed and that helps to arrest it but particularly when it goes as bad as this it tends to be better That's to maybe it. consider another another plant Okay, great. A question here um, regarding, we were talking about uh, composting a little bit earlier. So if you have weeds in your lawn and you use the grass cuttings in your compost, will this spread weeds to your garden? Well, if if, if for anybody that 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 makes compost on a regular basis, they will know 
that once it gets about three to four weeks of um, fermentation, you won't put your hand into the compost tea because you'll burn the hand to yourself. Yeah, very warm. So the temperatures get really, really hot, high because of the, the bacteria and the fermentation that's going on. So generally weed seeds are killed Straight in off. a compost heap. What you have to avoid are things like dandelion roots, dock roots, scutch grass, uh, bindweed. So where you have the roots of perennial weeds, then the heat that's exchanged will not control those. But from a normal garden weeds that you're gathering up, chickweed or normal kind of weeds, even if there's some weed seeds on the top of them, that the heat that's created within a compost heap will actually kill those. Okay, brilliant. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. But not perennial. The, the leaves of perennial weeds are fine, but the roots need to be kept out of compost areas. Right. Okay, purple sprouting broccoli pork. Oh yeah, lovely. Uh, Al Aiden, good morning to you in Kilmavie. Purple sprouting broccoli, it's coming on well. I feed them occasionally with homemade nettle feed. Oh, Should I continue to feed them over the winter? Yeah, no harm whatsoever. So you can make a liquid fertiliser. We talked about comfrey last week mm. and about making oh, fertiliser right, from the comfrey leaves, but nettles produce a really, really good fertiliser as well. Um, and and you, all you do is you crop the nettle leaves in springtime, cut them as young as possible and literally put them into a barrel of water and it makes up a, a very good liquid fertiliser. It's high in, in lots of kind of the MPKs but also the minor nutrients like potassium and magnesium. So very good for um, purple sprouting broccoli. It would be a great and it's high in potassium as well which is good for the flowering because you're going to be eating the flowers of our purple sprouting broccoli. So about once a fortnight Aidan would be the time to feed your purple sprouting broccoli and remember as soon as the shoots start to form in late winter early spring start harvesting purple sprouting broccoli and it will continue to produce uh, lots of new purple sprouts right through until nearly late midsummer certainly um, so well worth giving it a, a feed of the nettle soup Okay, they yeah, yeah. mix in water and just apply it to the foliage and the roots um, every fortnight. It's great for all of the brassicas, all of the um, cabbage, anything in the cabbage family. Okay, brilliant. Now, a couple of questions in about begonias and how yes. we might save them. People still have them, I think, in flower. They're lovely yeah. at the moment, yeah. yeah. They're still yeah. in bloom. And, and um, as I said, Teresa was asking me this morning and, and, and hers is in full, still in full flower. So they're going to stay in flower for probably another two weeks. Once the a night of frost will melt them at some stage right. and once you see that effect coming on them you cut them back to ground level you simply lift the bulb take all the soil and compost away from them so really kind of pair them back to the main bulb add a little bit of green sulphur or yellow sulphur which is a fungicide it's a little powder that you just sprinkle on to the begonia tuber wrap them up in newspaper and store them in a frost free somewhere like a garage or somewhere frost free not necessarily in a greenhouse or tunnel because frost can still penetrate that so either indoors or in a garage and then leave them till next February and simply pot them up again and you, you're good to go for another season. Now, we have a photograph in from Mary. Um, and she's wondering the name of the plant. So we yeah. got the photograph. Uh, uh, and was told when planting it wasn't going to be so big. Right. So it is big. Yeah. Anyway, can it be moved? And is if so, what time of the year? It's growing in on top of a crab apple tree. Can I split it up as well? Yeah. So this is this is a, um, a beautiful plant. It's lovely, it's lovely yeah. foliage colour. So this is a plant called Formium. Um, and there's many different varieties of them. And this will be one of the more compact varieties. So Formium comes to us from New Zealand. It's often called the New Zealand flax. You'll often see the wild version of it planted down around Ackle and Belmullet mm. and so on. It'll grow anything up to about eight or nine feet. It makes a fantastic wind barrier. This particular variety is a dwarf pink 
um, foliage varieties will only grow about four foot in height and about four or five foot in diameter but obviously it's encroaching on the apple tree yeah. um, so yeah, certainly they, they move very easily so two things you can do I would be inclined to leave it now until the springtime because you certainly can remove it at this time of year but it's offering such fantastic colour at the moment and why not just enjoy the colour until maybe next February at that time get out the hedge climbers, trimmers and trim it down to about a foot from ground level so trim all that foliage right back dig it up split it into six or eight pieces and replant it somewhere else more appropriate in the garden um, so you can do it at this time of year if you wish but you lose then the benefit of having the lovely colour for the, the winter because yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's, it's stunning. It's really lovely. And when, it's lovely. When and it's, remember, yeah. the crab tree is going to go out a leaf now very quickly and the formium isn't going to do any more growing between now and next spring. So I would leave it until February and at that stage, cut it within a, a foot of ground level, dig it up, split it into seven or eight pieces, maybe give away a few to family and friends and do remember it's still going to grow back up to that four feet by four feet height uh, within a very short period. So give it a good But a lovely, space. lovely plant gives 12 months of colour and so easy to grow. Now we we have a tree stuck in behind a tank. This <laughs> no is very tank, good. Yeah. Alina, good morning to you. Um so we're wondering is it a good time to move it to a suitable spot? Yeah, so this is this is a little plant, it's a, a conifer called Elwoodii. And when you buy them in, in garden centres or in flower shops, they look really pretty. They're like buying a little puppy. They're only about a foot high and they look fantastic. And you never <laughs> think it's analogy. going to grow to about four or five feet. So obviously um it, you look this is a plant planted in the wrong location. Location. So certainly this is a good time to dig it up. Conifers in general transplant really well at this time of year. So dig as much of the root ball as possible and just move it to a new area. Mm-hmm. Elwoodii, they're, they're relatively slow growing, but they will still grow to about nine or ten feet in their lifetime, um, depending on the shelter and where you put it. Uh, what you might find because it's so planted so closely to the tank is that one side, the side uh, resting against the tank will be bare, it'll be brown. Okay. So when you reposition it, make sure that you put that um, bald side of the conifer away from from the the the, the visual view. So uh, plant it somewhere where, where you can what, kind of hide the back of it. the bald side come on? It will. Some of it. It won't come on as well as um, the other side. Yeah, it's a bit like going back to our Lelandia question. Yeah. Conifers don't have that ability to reach you good. Now it will start to fill in, but but not to the same extent as the other area. Okay. Uh, gosh, very very uh, nice photograph there of something. So I have some box topiary, topiary which lovely. was put on has put on some growth in the last couple of weeks. Is it too late to give them a ship a shaping trim? Says Mike and Calaster. No, Mike, you could do that now if you wish, just lovely. because they're actually good. They're they're, they're well very well shaped anyway, and there'd be very minimal trimming that you're going to do in them. So certainly you could do them at this time of year. If there was a lot of trimming, I would say leave it over till till March because they're not going to produce any new growth between now in March but a light trimming back I mean they are particularly well shaped Mike is only talking about taking maybe an inch at most or half an inch off each of the plants so that can be done at this time of year no problem whatsoever and Mike you know a word a word of warning is to keep those boxwood treated with the top boxes again you could apply that at this time of year and next spring again just to keep them healthy yeah lovely photographs of a misty yeah. morning with them in it and now we have a clematis over on the text pork okay. uh, somebody wondering um, I have them a clematis for years but and it always did great but this year very few flowers any thoughts well it depends on the variety that you have like clematis 
Um, you'll often hear me talk about varieties that flower through the winter period, some that flower in springtime like Montana and, and others that flower during the, the summer period. So there's loads and loads of different varieties and the pruning of them all varies depending on when they're flower. So you know, it's unusual for them not to flower well. Um, if they've been pruned at the wrong time of year, certainly that will affect them. For, so, for example, the spring flowering Montanas, if you prune them any time from late summer through the winter or early spring, then they'll fail to flower because you've physically removed the flowering wood from them. So it all depends really on the variety. Um, so maybe if the listener could be maybe come back to us at some stage and just let us know what, what particular variety is or what time of year they flower because that really determines the time of year you prune them back. But in general, they're relatively easy to grow. Great. Somebody says, what should I do with my Belfast sink now? I used my onions and lettuce all summer. Ah, lovely. In Foxford. Well, you can, you can <laughs> certainly replant your Belfast sink with onions and garlic. And, for the winter. And for the winter. Well, yeah. they're all available at the moment. So the Japanese onion sets will be perfectly happy all winter. You can plant the lettuce. There are lettuce plants available now, winter lettuce plants available that you can plant now. And they'll be ready for uh, uh, trimming. Um, in, in several weeks you could plant them up with strawberry plants to fruit next season well they'd be nice um, and you know, pretty some, in your Belfast yeah some spinach maybe some spinach would, would be good for the winter as well so there's lots of, of good things like the purple sprouting broccoli and that would be too mm. big uh, but so some of them smaller garlic Japanese onion sets um, spinach would be ideal some of the winter lettuce uh, maybe the dwarf cabbages pixie cabbage would work as well Great. Um, don't leave it empty anyway. Okay, don't leave it down. That's 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 the main I'll plant thing. Plant it up with spring bulbs. Yeah. If you're if you're happy with with uh, you know maybe you don't want to be planting with edibles, you could just put a whole range bit of colour. Bit of colour for your Belfast sink. Or do that lasagna planting where you put the you know the daffodils and the tulips and, and all in the one. It'd be beautiful. And in fairness, it's a perfect space for the like of that because you have the bit of depth. You have the depth, yeah. and and it would look fantastic. And then when those bulbs flower through the spring, they'll be beautiful. If you get different varieties, and and once they go out. Of you can simply just lift them and plant them out into the garden and replant with edibles. So, Great. lots of options. Hyacinths would be beautiful in them. The scented hyacinths would be fabulous okay, in them the, as well. There's the myriad of options yeah, there. Yeah. Now, my calla lilies have never flowered. I have it in a large pot for about five years. Well, maybe maybe consider planting it out of doors. Calla lilies tend to be hungry plants. Now, there are different varieties of them, some more vigorous than others. The common arum lily or calla lily, the big one, needs lots of space and lots of moisture as well and will often not do well in pots, particularly for a five-year period because it just the soil becomes too dry. Um, so calla lilies are definitely... Are, are better planted out into the garden soil, a moisture retentive soil and calla lilies will actually grow the arum lily in particular will grow with mm. its feet in water so it's it's one of these plants that needs lots of, of moisture because of the big leaves and the big flowers so my guess is it's probably a bit hungry in the pot and it probably is lacking a bit of moisture this is the great time of year to, to take it, out. maybe divide it into a couple of pieces and planted out into the garden soil yeah great um, mm. now we talked about the begonias somebody wondering about dahlias what do we do with them same for the winter? thing applies with yeah. the dahlias so again let them flower until the frost knocks them back and then once they've once they've gone black dig them up store them for the winter indoors and uh, 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 indoors in a garage and as I say if you store the dahlias you've got the option of splitting them then in the springtime alternatively you can just let them die back to soil level put a heavy mulch of bark or garden compost over the top of them you know up to six or eight inches and that'll help to 
protect them against the frost for the winter. Now we have a, um, a red robin here. We're told. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. You, I would, I'm not sure. Had, I would. I'm not sure. I would have known it was a red robin unless I wasn't told about it. So clearly, uh, for the listeners, this red robin is um pretty much no more. I suspect. No more, no. Uh, what has happened to it, though, is the question. <laughs> I don't know. This is a mer- need- I see. I think we can see another uh, another one here just to yeah, the side. So I think you want Paro Paro to, to <laughs> investigate this one. Uh, this is probably a little bit above my my level. Uh, Look, the plant is completely gone. I mean, red robins. I was yeah. actually admi- I had uh, two outside my own doors in pots, and they've come back beautifully after a bit of trimming okay, a couple we- of weeks back. But look at this plant on the right hand side; certainly is completely dead. And um, the, yeah, and the one on the left doesn't look, look that great look either. It very sickly. It, it may be that the soil is extremely heavy and wet there. Um, something has happened to yeah. them. There's no there's no indication of physical damage. I don't see anything breaking any damaged wood or uh, mm, the bark being broken. Or I think or is the pl- is that plantex underneath? There's plastic or plantex yeah. there. It's it's actually mypex. You can see okay. the the um, so that shouldn't affect them. So something is physically. I mean. Generally speaking, if it's in very heavy ground, wet ground, certainly Fortini will suffer from that. Um, but but they're, okay. they're past. Okay, we're, we're, we're at a little bit of a loss yeah. there, I'm afraid. Yeah, maybe just rethink the space in terms yeah. of uh, maybe, you know, the planting. Yeah. Um, now, I have a wall 12 metres long and it's two foot high, or two metres high rather. Uh, anything green and quick growing that will cover it? Thanks. Oh yeah, there's loads. So the wall is 12 metres long by Two, two meters, I by think. two meters high, so six foot. Oh yeah, well, so evergreens. You've got a wide choice of of evergreen climbers. You know, thinking of plants like the evergreen Virginia creeper, Cissus striata, which is a really fast growing plant. It does need a little bit of support, some wire or mesh, but it'll cover that wall in 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 a very short time. You've got the evergreen pyracanthus, which are lovely. The fire thorns, they're full of berries mm. at the moment. Evergreen cotoneasters that would work really well on it as well. And I'm a great fan of interspersing different varieties of climbers together. So, for example, on a garage wall I have, I have a lovely evergreen ivy that the birds nest in every year called Gold Child. So it's evergreen. It's easy to grow. It's self-clinging. There's no need for trellis. And up through it, I've got a winter flowering uh, clematis called Winter Beauty. And the two of them work really well together because the ivy acts as a support for the clematis and the clematis simply just runs up through it and comes into flower for the winter period. So again, maybe take a couple of pictures, bring them into your local garden centre and they'll advise you. And this is a really good time as we come into November to plant climbing plants in general. Okay, Teresa's in Ballygar and she's got a seven foot blueberry bush which she has repotted into a container because okay. it's growing fairly vigorously in the ground um, and we've got some new growth on it now and she's wondering when does she cut it back hoping for a good blueberries next year? Yeah, well you can do a light bit of pruning back at this time of year. Blueberries do really well in pots, in large pots if you're using the ericaceous compost and feeding them with an ericaceous mm. feed and they will settle down to fruiting. So just a light trimming back. Um, If it's seven feet tall, I would remove about 18 inches from the top branches and trim back the side branches by about four to six inches. And you can do that at this time of year. Now, uh, somebody wondering where can they buy a knip a red hot poker I'm pronouncing that incorrectly I know well I am I haven't a clue (laughs) Uh, so I'll leave that open to you Um, this person can find it in garden centres and wondering can it be grown from seed yes it can so this is Nymphophia thank you Nymphophia is is the red hot poker beautiful plants Um, I'm a big fan of them I mean they come into flower in July and they're still in flower 
uh, I have them planted through hydrangeas and they're absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so Nymphophia red hot pokers are a perennial plant and they got, they've got these beautiful scarlet red or shades of red and yellow. So there's loads of different varieties, orange varieties as well. Um, generally speaking, you get them available in garden centres in springtime. Right. So they tend to come available February, March, April, May, that sort of period before the flowering season. You can propagate them by division. So you can divide them. Once you have the plants, you can split them up and divide them. And that's done during the winter period. Or you can sow them from seed as well. But to be honest, I would wait until the springtime and get yourself some plants. And they grow quite fast. You know, if you put in an infophia, say in February, it'll come into flower this year, but it'll nearly double its size each year after that. And the key tip with them is to keep deadheading them. So as the flower begins to fade, continue to trim them. And they're, as I said, they're still in flower. I'll have them probably for another two weeks in flower in the garden since July. You know, they're fantastic. Mm. Great fillers. And and they give that lovely spike height. They tend to be relatively tall, about a metre, up to two metres in height, depending on the variety. But they give fantastic colour. And lovely mixed amongst other plants. So they're a bit like um, Crocrosmia, that Crocrosmia lucifer. I love those. I think they're Well, they're, if you've got yeah. hydrangeas growing in the garden and mix the, the Crocrosmia lucifer and the the red hot pokers yeah. and they come in as I said and, and, they, those, could, and they all have the good they height have, they have the height and they'll shoot up through other plants so they're they're fantastic brilliant um, now somebody wondering they'd love to add a bit of colour to the garden from January all year through with bulbs uh, can you yes but can you plant bulbs all year round you, you can no <laughs> that's a big yes. that's a very no, big no, question we'll no, be here no, for another you can hour do it, right so here we go here we go so you can actually have them flowering from December right through till certainly mid-November. So you'd start December flowering, there's a bulb that comes into flower called Aranthus. It's a beautiful yellow flowering buttercup flower that starts just before Christmas. You've got the snow drops in January. We've got the crocuses in February. You've got all the dwarf daffodils and and daffodils come, I have a lovely variety called Jetfire um, that comes into flower in March but you've got early varieties like February gold that start in February. So Narcissi or daffodil, the dwarf variety, start from February and flower right through to the end of April. You've got the scented hyacinths, you've got chinodoxia, you've got the bluebells which are going to flower into early summer. You've got the alliums. We often talk about the alliums at Bloom, yes, which is the June course, bank the holiday. Big, the big with the big yeah. heads, and yes. And then you're into summer bulbs. So you've got all the summer bulbs. You've got the, the dahlias, the, the scented lilies, Begonias. the agapanthus. So it's yeah. totally possible to have them flowering... 10 months of the 10 year. 10 months of the year. At different stages all the way through. Okay, well, I think that is uh, almost a lovely project to conclude on. One or two more, though, before we wrap up. Um, can I move holly trees now? I want to put them into half barrels, breeches and rustlemen. Yeah, you can move holly. Be careful that you move as much of the root ball as possible, but now is a good time to move them. Super. And what about replanting a peony rose now? Yeah, so it's a peony rose tree, I think they're mentioned oh, right. here. So a peony Diff- rose is, you get the normal herbaceous type yes. and you can get a tree form, which grows like a shrub. Oh. And they are are uh, deciduous so one leave them until they drop their leaves which will be the middle of November so leave it for another two or three weeks and dig up your peony rose uh, tree and move it to a new location okay. no problem whatsoever uh, and I, I think that is it pretty much uh, concluding things for us this morning Boric so it's been a great a great great year it's been an extraordinary year yeah, the, certainly the autumn has flown for mm-hmm. me and really enjoyed all the community projects we got involved with this year so you know my thanks to all the communities that, that, that contacted me and I, I had really enjoyed particularly the that we had in, in Castlebar and, and, and all Kiltimar over and, and, and all else. over yeah. we lost them in Turlock and, and so on as well so very enjoyable year okay so maybe the start of more to come in 2022 yeah and I can get back to my own garden now. you can get back you'll have no excuse now <laughs> <No>. sir <laughs>
<laughs> well, look, it's been a total pleasure from my perspective as well. So thank you for all of uh, the wonderful information and advice you share with us each and every Saturday morning. Uh, I'm not here myself next Saturday, but I am back all going well the following week. So until then, have yourselves a really good Halloween weekend. Good morning to you.